Welcome to another episode of How to Read the Bible. I'm your host, Nate Claiborne, and I'm here today with Dr. Mike Allen. How are we doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. I'm home with sick kids. I mean, what could be better? Anyhow. What could be better? It's raining outside. It's, uh, you know, it's a great day to record a podcast is what we're saying. That's right. Glad to be with you. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Uh, I'm looking forward to what we're talking about today, though. We are talking about uh, the book of Jeremiah, but really, more particularly, we're talking about the prophet Jeremiah today. And specifically, we're going to look at his call in Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, do, do you want to jump in there? You want to read it for us, or you want to... Sure. Uh, let me uh, read just a few verses, uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 4, and reading through verse 10. Uh, now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Don't say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Uh, it's, it's one of the most famous call passages where someone is being addressed by God anywhere in the Bible and being summoned to do something. We've got uh, calls offered to Abraham and to Moses uh, to David, and here, probably uh, the most uh, powerful among several really significant prophet call passages. Um, and uh, Nate, one of the most interesting things here is to, to see how this passage is similar to some other calls that are given and uh, different from others um, in all sorts of ways. I mean, he pulls out the the classic Moses move of pointing out that he's not a terribly good speaker. Mm -hmm. And uh, that reminds us of an earlier passage in, in Exodus three and four, when Moses is there at the burning bush and trying to help God out, help him avoid making a, a bad hiring decision. Um, and again, here, the same response is given, not actually you're a good speaker, <laughs> not your self-assessment is wrong. Uh, it's just inconsequential. I'll be with you. And uh, the first thing that that prompts me to think of is this passage is less about Jeremiah than it is about God. And uh, that's not unusual. That's true of others, like the call of Moses or uh, the call of Isaiah, uh, the call of Ezekiel. But the first thing that we really need to know about Jeremiah is not something found inside Jeremiah. It's just that God has chosen him, God's called him, and God promises to be with him. Right. Yeah, it's it's. I like how you connect it back to Moses, where it's a similar. I'm not. I don't have the skill set for what you're calling me to, but it's actually God is the one who has the skill set. Yeah, and both of them. I mean, you see something psychologically. Both of them, Moses, and then here Jeremiah. It's it's a fear. Mm, um, yeah. God has to say, "Don't fear." God has to put him at ease. God has to. Uh, reassure. And that probably says something pretty profound about somebody who is honestly 
going to be involved in doing the will of God and in fulfilling a, a task sent by God that uh, the first response will be one of, of terror. It's why through church history, there are a lot of people, famous ministers and bishops and theologians who have really hesitated at being ordained or going into what we call vocational ministry uh, because like what Jeremiah's response initially would be, there's a there's a real sense of fear and trepidation about being involved in such a weighty task. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a, it's not unusual that that level of fear and trepidation is a good sign that this person is cut out for the task because there's not the self-confidence or the bravado that you would expect. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm especially struck at the way that God addresses fear. You know, we experience this every week before we're sent out from worship that God doesn't just leave us with an encouraging word, but we actually get to taste something of his assurance as we come to the table. And it's interesting that here, as in the calls of Isaiah and Ezekiel, there is a tangible, a uh, experiential kind of reassurance of the prophet. So in Isaiah Chapter 6, the Lord touches Isaiah's lips in verse 7, and that's a sign of setting him apart and cleansing him. In Ezekiel, there's a really long sort of setup to his call to be a prophet, really the first three chapters as a whole. But in chapter 3, verse 2, his mouth is opened and he eats the scroll or the book of the words of the Lord. Uh, well, here in Jeremiah 1.9, the Lord actually puts out his hand touches the mouth of Jeremiah and says, behold, I've put my words in your mouth. So he doesn't just tell him, fear not, and he doesn't just promise him, I'll be with you. He gives him a uh, symbol. It's like a, almost a, a sacrament of sorts, a, a use of a sign to convey the force of a promised word. And it's not a sacrament to be practiced again and again by others. It's not a ritual, but it is serving in the same way. It offers confidence to Jeremiah that God God has given him peace, God has granted him a promise, and then that is as real as the touching of his mouth and the ingesting of these words. Yeah, and I'm, I'm struck by uh, this. When you started reading the passage, it starts off with now the word of the Lord came to me saying, and we, we maybe are picturing him hearing a voice off in the distance or, you know, some sort of disembodied experience. And then this verse we just read, the Lord put out his hand. And so now we're, he's having some sort of embodied conversation with a figure. It's not just a voice that he's hearing because voices don't usually have hands from what I understand. <laughs> yeah. But it almost becomes a yeah. character throughout the book. The word of the Lord is a character in the book of Jeremiah. Right. Yeah. So we can see that in lots of ways, you know, John 1, where we encounter the word or the logos, uh, isn't the first time that there is a personified speech or word of God that John there, as much as later in the, the, the first chapter prologue, is leaning on the Old Testament, this mm. idea that uh, the word of the Lord is is a personified character in action. And it goes all the way back to Genesis 1, of course, where God acting creatively takes the form of God's words, bringing about change and bringing about life. 
So it is a vivid way of, of conveying things. And it's, it's something that if you read it with Genesis behind you and John 1 yet to come, it, it kind of makes sense that when God calls a prophet and wants to bring about, you know, newness or life or change where none could be expected, it's God's word that starts to act. Mm. Uh, there's something telling and fitting in that, I think. Yeah, it's, having an encounter with God's word changes people for the better. Although in this case, yeah. it's uh, verse 10. Uh, I was also struck by the verbs that are there. Pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow, and then build plants. So four yeah. really negative ones, two really positive ones. So there's got to be a decreation before a recreation of sorts. Yeah, and I think it's telling. So those are all infinitives of what the word is meant to do. They describe its purposes. And I, I think we've got to acknowledge the range. We've got to acknowledge uh, the relative proportion. And we've got to acknowledge the, uh, the sequence of them. So, I mean, you pointed out that the range of terms there, it's really varied. I mean, it takes in what you could do in the garden, mm. what you might do in the city, so it's one thing to pluck up a plant that's not growing as you wish. It's another thing to break down a, an old house or shelter. Um, it's one thing to destroy or annihilate something. It's another thing to overthrow and upend uh, something from its current functioning. There are, there are all different metaphorical backgrounds and images that are being drawn. And so we need to catch the range of, of ways language is being brought in. Um, but, but you highlighted, I think, there that, that sort of deconstructive work is described twice as much. There are four negative or decreative, deconstructive terms, pluck up, break down, destroy, and overthrow. And then only two positive or reconstructive words, building and planting, uh, a city image and then a garden image. And uh, that's got to tell us something, I think, not just about Jeremiah's call, but about the purpose of the word of the Lord, that there is, there is something thick about our self-defense that really demands a verbal assault from the word of God that would challenge us and break down our arrogance or our despair, our selfishness or our pride, whatever it may be. Um, and then and only then to truly reconstruct something new and true and good and beautiful. And uh, that sequence seems to be really telling in terms of the prophetic vision of what, what later folks would call law and gospel, God's word convicting and then bringing forth promised new life on the other side. So keeping kind of keeping that in mind, how, how do you think that can inform us today as we're, we're going to be spending the, I mean, really in our CBR readings, we're in the prophets the rest of the year. Um, we're in Jeremiah till sometime in July. And so we're going to be sitting in uh, what Jeremiah has to say to Israel pre-exile, post-exile. So what, what can we kind of take from that as we're reading yeah, I, I think there's several things that hopefully that alerts us to about God's word and about what it means to be a Christian or to be a member of a church. Um, the first is even the people of God need to be challenged. And it's really easy to always think that we're on the graduated side of this. We're alums. And we went through that and maybe it was conversion or maybe it was early in our Christian walk. 
But now we're to the point where we're on the side of dishing out uh, lessons to the next generation as opposed to ourselves being challenged. And I think it's important to catch that Jeremiah, like the others, is, yes, a prophet to the nations, but he's also got challenging words to the very people of God. And uh, no one outgrows that kind of prophetic challenge as a Christian. We ought to, of all people, be the most expectant and the most eager. Uh, We don't want to self-flagellate and just overstate our miserableness, and there's really no glory in understating our strengths or giftedness. That's not true humility. But we ought to be expectant that God's word, as we interact with it, it is going to challenge, it's going to judge, it's going to convict. And that's that's just a normal rhythm for the Christian and the church. I think that's got to be the first thing that's going to mark our kind of spirituality of expectancy. Yeah, that's good. It's, uh, the, the tone that it sets is something that it, we can benefit from. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I, I think that perhaps could shape what we pray for. Uh, you know, there's, there's often a line used by preachers wanting to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted as a, a prayer that a preacher would say uh, silently, perhaps before God, before they preach. Well, I think that's, in a real sense, that ought to be true of all of us as we read our CBR, as we pray through scripture in our community groups, as we begin our day with scripture uh, before we turn to screens and all else. Whatever the space is, whatever the rhythm is, whether we're in corporate worship or we're on our own throughout the week, we ought to be prayerfully entering that time with the word, asking that God would um, not just bind up where I feel broken, but would also really help me to feel broken where I, I falsely feel comfortable and I, I falsely feel like I'm doing well. Pray that God would challenge me in that way. And I, I think we need to start there as we pay attention to this. But, you know, there's, I think, a lot more here, too, about how this shapes Christian thinking about sort of a prophetic ministry or spirituality, which is um, talked about much in our day. And, you know, the, the next thing I think we've got to say is whether it's Isaiah and it's the notion of the Lord touching his lips in Isaiah 6, 7, or it's Ezekiel being told to open his mouth and eat the scroll, or it's here, Jeremiah 1, 9, God putting his word in the prophet's mouth, it's a reminder that prophetic speech is always and only going to happen where God has spoken. And we need to be very careful lest uh, my spouting off my opinions on politics, on culture, on child rearing, on marriage, on economics, on zone versus man-to-man defense in basketball. If if my opinions in any of those areas are being tossed around uh, as if on par with what God has spoken in his word, then I've really made a mockery of what it means to be prophetic because the prophet speaks only what they're given. The, the word of the Lord is their norm. They have to speak it. They can't be fearful. They can't uh, be timid. Uh, and that's a real challenge for a lot of us who perhaps don't like upending and disrupting or hurting feelings at times. We need to remember the call to bold obedience. 
but the prophet only speaks what God has said. And that's a challenge for others of us who uh, really get on a roll and are happy to tell people where they're wrong and are eager to point out uh, in every area of life that we're an expert. And we need to be reined in as well there and to remember that the prophecy is all about God's speech. And that's that's the only way that there's assurance or peace here is uh, Jeremiah isn't a great speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, God doesn't make him feel better about that. God just reassures him that where the word of the Lord is, there will be peace. Where the word of the Lord is, there will be God's presence. And that ought to be a word for us, um, whether we're culturally uh, central or peripheral, whether we're charismatic or quiet, stuttering, whatever may be our strengths or weaknesses, uh, socially and communicatively, uh, any any hope, any expectancy of peace and of effects being good should only flow from the fact that God would speak and God would be present and God would do what he wants done. Um, and I, I think that's going to really channel and restrain our notion of what it would mean to be prophetic. Yeah, no, that's great. It's a, it's a, it's a constant reminder that it, being a prophet is speaking on someone else's behalf. It's not being appointed to be a speaker and then you just go out and take it from there and whatever you feel confident in speaking on, that's what you talk about. Yeah. And I think we ought to acknowledge, and this isn't unique though. It's perhaps especially uh, vibrant today. We live in a guru culture mm-hmm. where we want people who are going to spout off and It's amazing the things we ask people to talk about that are plainly beyond their expertise. Uh, We want athletes to speak to wider issues. We want movie stars to speak to a range of things. We expect politicians to be able to address all manner of topics uh, seemingly, you know, at command. Um, And, and of course, pastors and religious leaders and self-help gurus, uh, they are, they're driven to have answers on anything and everything. And uh, the microphone is a seductive place. And so uh, I think it's a good reminder for all of us to remember that, that Protestant reformational word that, you know, scripture alone is the final authority. And that means scripture alone is the norm and the limit of Christian prophetic speech. And that ought to give us boldness in one sense, but also, a great sense of restraint uh, in another sense. Yeah. So it's going to help tune us, if I could use a musician's term, over the next several months as we read the prophets, where there some of us who need to speak up may be encouraged to, some of us who need to pipe down may also be encouraged to. And in these, these verbs that we see here in Jeremiah's call will kind of clue us into what we might experience as we sit in the prophets. And one thing I was thinking of as we were, we were talking about this being a spokesman um, is that we'll notice Jeremiah and Isaiah are not redundant. So they are speaking the word of the Lord. So there's similarities in their themes and what they end up saying, but their personalities aren't erased in the process. They're not just a puppet that God uses to get his word out there. He works through individual people rather than just doing it on his own. Yeah, very much so. And so we'll have 
very different uh, stylistic forms. We'll have different metaphors and images. Uh, they will vary in all sorts of ways, even though, as you mentioned, they do convey. I mean, they talk about the covenant. They talk about justice. They talk about repentance. There's some common themes, but they sound uh, in complementary, not just in redundant ways. It's, it's again, it's a reminder that the the Gospels aren't new in every respect. They bring a new word about the coming of the Son of God. But the fact that you have four Gospels speaking in different ways about one happening is something that's already been foreshadowed in the prophets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in various ways, they speak concerning the people of God and the covenant of God and the need for repentance before God and ultimately the need for deliverance by God showing up because that alone is really going to change things. So uh, learning to listen to the prophets alongside each other is really helpful. That's a great point. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to spending more time in it the rest of the year. And I appreciate you sitting down with me today to talk about Jeremiah. I'll look forward to next time we can chat about him. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Nate.